Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, also available on the Amazon Alexa as a skill. You can enable it and keep up to date with the latest news from the team, as well as on the iTunes podcast. Um, Today we are going to be covering ESMA. Uh, It's a regulation that's just come in, um, very much focused on leveraged products, um, high-risk CFDs, and products such as spread betting. Um, We caught up with the CEO of Capital.com some weeks ago, um, and we had a conversation with him. Um, They're a relatively new provider. Um, They've got a lot of focus on education. Um, They've got a very smart trading platform. Um, So we caught up with him to really see what his views were on ESMA, how he thought it was going to impact the market, and also um, looking at what they were doing as a company um, in light of the new regulations. So um, this is going back to a snippet of what he um, gave us a bit of an intro for Capital.com. So Capital.com. So we, um, we've been incorporated for two years. Uh, we're set up with offices in four locations. Um, we are a MIFID II licensed uh, CFD provider. Um, and we're operating across Europe. We're live in 23 languages. Um, and we are a company that is focused on uh, establishing ourselves as a very... Um, customer-centric, innovative trading provider and and investment provider. And and we've got a really strong focus on education. We've got a really strong focus on on usability. And in terms of my background, I I was at IG for 15 years uh, running technology there. Um, And, uh, you know, they're they're widely regarded as, as having a good platform um, and uh, are, are a pretty firmly established market leader. Um, and, you know, I, I think I had a great career at IG and, and now I've got an opportunity to use some of that experience to to help build a, a new a new company where I have more influence over, over decisions that get made and where we focus and, and what we focus on. So after hearing um, a little bit about Capital.com and what they do, um, obviously Ivan's story, um, we asked, you know, what his views were on ESMA, uh, you know, what the repercussions could be in the market, how it's going to be impacting clients, both good and bad, and also sort of looking at things they were putting in place. And this is something that's going to be going across the industry. So it's very similar to Anybody that's trading CFD would have experienced this um, over the last few weeks and, and will experience it going forward. Um, so we've got a little bit here um, on Ivan's views on ESMA and, and what it means for the markets. I think it is widely understood that there are a range of different uh, brokers operating in, in this space with... Um, with different ways of, of doing business and, and principles and approaches. And 
I think there are a number of issues that have come up over the years that have given leveraged trading clients reasons to complain. Um, and I think if you look at you know the the uh, the complaints that a number of regulators across across Europe and beyond to some extent have have received, uh, that they, they've often uh, had legitimate causes for complaint. Um, and having been at IG for many years, it was it was clear that the volumes of complaints weren't they, they were disproportionately uh, from customers of uh, brokers that uh, weren't market leaders in in the countries that uh, were were sort of the bigger economic countries in Europe, and so in some countries like uh, France or or the UK, um, there were lots of consumers that had complaints with the service that they were receiving, um, but very very few were from customers of IG where IG is by far the biggest, most dominant player in that market. So, so I think in general, you know, what are the issues here? Is it, is it the industry itself or is it some of the participants? I think is an interesting question. Um, I think it's really clear from some of the survey data that a number of the big established brands did that large percentages of their audience were very happy with the service that they receive and they understood the risks they were undertaking and they enjoyed trading the markets. Um, I think there is a, a different issue which is that there are some clients who have had very bad experiences and have had genuine complaints that, that are absolutely right and, and that's something that regulators need to tackle. Um, I think there is then a, a genuine desire of regulators to, you know, protect the financial well-being of their of their people and and to ensure that people understand the risks they're undertaking and and people aren't guided into financial investments or or things related to their money um, that are in any way misleading. And if you look at what the regulators have come out with and and kind of where ESMA's ended up, uh, you know, they've got some extremely sensible measures in place where, you know, when, I mean, we're all familiar with the Swiss franc and, and what happened there. And, and, you know, you're talking about a G8 currency uh, that when it was unpegged from the euro had a really, really significant move. And, you know, at the time it wasn't a, an industry practice to prevent clients who were, were spread betting or, or trading through CFDs from being able to go into debt. And so again, you know, putting in place consumer protection that prevents someone on a, on a mid-level salary from going into a very large amount of debt is a really good thing. And, you know, at, at IG and, and a number of other responsible industry participants, they put that in place ahead of enforcement by regulators because they recognize that, that that's not their intention by being in this industry and, and they don't think that's right and, and they don't want to offer a service that results in people ending up in a, in a huge amount of unaffordable debt.
So things like negative balance protection are you know, absolutely a, a really good thing and a great consumer protection to be putting in place. I think having a sensible threshold for when you go on to a, a closeout process um, and, and putting that at 50% at an account level, I think, again, is a, is a really sensible uh, level at which, you know, someone who maybe is, is less informed or who has taken on more risk than they uh, wanted or maybe market conditions were became more volatile than they had been in the recent past um, and, and it provides some protection there and, and an early kind of warning that actually you know this is what this type of trading activity is and, and you know you should be aware of it and um, and again is it is a really useful consumer protection I think you know banning financial incentives to start trading or depositing money, again, is, is a sensible thing. Um, and, you know, and then there's been the whole thing around binary options. Uh, and, you know, we're familiar with some of the stories around binary options, extremely short-term speculative uh, uh, instruments, derivatives. And, you know, again, I mean, we at Capital, we've never offered... Uh, financial incentives to, to start trading. We've never offered binary options. Uh, we're fully compliant with uh, with no negative accounts uh, and and with uh, the margin closeout on an account level at, at 50%. Um, so, you know, all of those things are, are really, really good things. Um, I think then there's this debate about the degrees of leverage and what will that do to the market? What will that do to the amount of money invested through leverage trading? Um, and, you know, for some people, reducing the amount of leverage they have available to them will make this activity much less interesting. For other people who don't realize the degree of leverage they're taking on, and they're not, they're not maybe as aware as we would like them to be, this is a really good protection. And I think... I think there is a huge difference between experience and knowledge. Um, and I, I think some of the early consultation papers that came out around, you know, how do we ensure that people know what they're doing? Um, and how do we ensure that, that what they're doing, they're appropriate for? Um, there, there was a lot of focus on experience and not much defined focus on knowledge. So for us, I, one of, the, one of the challenges around learning and knowledge is, is how do you make what is quite um, inaccessible information and terminology uh, a bit more accessible? And, and there aren't that many people these days that read a lot of books and have the time and patience to read, read a lot of books uh, about, about this sort of activity. And, and, of course, there are an audience that do. Um, but, you know, there's a general shift towards video. There's a general shift towards reading shorter, more concise things and fitting it in around what are extremely busy schedules uh, and, and schedules that get interrupted regularly. So what we've done is we've designed a dedicated education app called InvestMate. Uh, we've made it freely available for people to download and, and we encourage people that visit our site and engage with us to, to engage with this InvestMate app. And we've invested a huge amount in the usability of the app to create 
bite-sized chunks of lessons in which you can learn about the markets and, and trading and risk and risk management and leverage. And so you can set yourself daily goals and objectives. And we have a bit of gamification around the education process to give you achievements when you achieve your goals. Um, and we're getting lots and lots of organic downloads of that app. We're getting loads of five-star reviews, which are very complimentary about the user experience, about the content, about the usefulness of the content. Um, and, and so that's something that you know we were very strongly committed to, and, and it's great to see it being really well received and, and is meeting a need of, of an audience of people that want to learn more about the, the understanding of the markets. And, and we provide lots of useful features where you can save lessons to refer back to them later. And then we also provide features where you can, you know, uh, come up with a glossary of terms and, and uh, refer back to them or, or you know look up things that you, you maybe don't understand a particular word or phrase um, and then we're very focused on trying not to overcomplicate things that don't need to be overcomplicated and so it's about using um, very clear language where we're not trying to uh, unnecessarily burden people with with um, complex terminology um, and then the other area that we've invested very heavily in is in trading bias detection and um, we have a, a machine learning algorithm that looks at our clients trades and is looking for patterns of trading behavior that are um, recognizable as uh, as potentially being linked to trading biases that can negatively impact your, your trading outcomes. So, you know, we, we all are very aware of our own uh, loss prevention biases that we that we have. And, and sometimes, you know, and, and you see in a lot of the, the published data from lots of brokers that, you know, some clients, unfortunately, ride their losses for too long and, and cut their profits a bit early. And, and that can impact your P&L, where your decision-making in terms of percentage of trades that are profitable is, is good, but you know a small number of losses can impact your, your overall P&L significantly. So we detect these biases and we send those clients specific messages um, informing them about that bias, about the fact that they are exhibiting that bias, and about what that bias means and, and some of the things to, to be aware of. And, and so again, it's, it's trying to strike that balance of, you know, not throwing a book at someone and saying, Hey, you know, you, you can learn with a, with a demo account whilst learning through studying. Um, but we, we're also recognizing that, you know, a lot of people learn through doing and, and we allow people to trade in small sizes. And, and you don't have to take, you know, really big minimum trade sizes with us. And, and so we're using this to hopefully provide really useful uh, education at the time when it's going to be well received um, and, and be absorbed and, and people will be able to understand and, and relate it to what they're doing um, without being too overwhelming. And, you know, if you've ever done a, a technical sport like learning to play golf, um, you'll know that the golf instructor who's a pro that's been doing this for years will know that there are degrees of information you can take on board that you're ready for and there are degrees that you can't start talking to you about yet. And, and so trying to apply that 
that kind of understanding that some people are ready for some levels of education at, at different stages of their their sophistication is is I think really important and, and something we're trying to do to uh, to ensure people are, are making the most of the training opportunities and, and learning as they're going. So we heard from Ivan there on the importance of education um, and what they were doing uh, in terms of trying to educate people and the systems they had in place to ensure that there was a high level of education. So that's something that is very important. It has been very important in the industry for some years now, um, but there is a clear line in the sand that if somebody cannot now prove that they are of a professional level, uh, the product that they have where it's not different um, to what it was before, uh, the actual level of leverage is somewhat different and it is creating a situation where people could be looking elsewhere for alternatives. If they don't meet that level of education, there's always going to want to be people that are uh, exploring other avenues outside of possibly UK and EU located uh, trading venues. So we've got some interesting comments here from Ivan on that. And just bear in mind that these were comments from a phone call that we had some weeks ago. So when he's talking about things that they were putting in place, it's highly likely that those things have now been put in place given the date for uh, the enactment of ESMA was some days ago now. Um, so interesting comments here about you know the possibility of people looking outside of the zone that is controlled by ESMA. I think I think going back to the, the specific leverage levels. So um, we we have changed our onboarding to make a recommendation that all new clients should choose the lowest leverage levels we offer, which are ESMA's recommended levels. And we're doing that without any labeling in our system that is saying ESMA is forcing us to do this. We're saying these are the levels of leverage we recommend. Uh, for those people that have more experience and wealth, we're allowing them to say, I want more leverage, but it's labeled in our, in our onboarding process as being for experts. Um, and so we're making it clear that, you know, taking on more leverage is more risky and, and you know, we're allowing the consumer to choose and, and we see that, you know, more than 80% of our audience leave our recommended levels as the levels that they want to go with. But we're also seeing this, this audience of people that um, want the extra leverage and, and so we're not yet enforcing them to not be able to choose that more leverage and that will come on, on enforcement day. Um, but we're already seeing that we do have an audience who don't qualify as professional, but who do want more leverage. And I, I think, you know, this is the danger that the big brokers in this space have been talking about, which is there is an appetite for higher leverage, knowing what the risks are. And, and the question that remains outstanding is what are those people going to do when these things are enforced? And I think, you know, the danger there is that they, they go offshore somewhere and and that wouldn't be good for consumer protections. It also would be uh, more challenging for, for those of us that are uh, that are well regulated and well governed and, and operating with integrity and, and you know, 
it opens you up to being in a less competitive position because people uh, are seeking more leverage and, and they like the thrill of trading the markets. As we heard from Ivan there, there is actually going to be a possibility of unintended consequences arising from ESMA in that clients that are looking for higher leverage and feel that they've to some extent had their wings clipped by ESMA could be looking at brokers that are operating offshore. Um, so we asked Ivan, you know, what that could mean for the industry, you know, what those risks could be for the clients, um, and really whether the leverage limits there uh, are going to be driving something that's much worse than initially intended. I think that remains to be seen. I think the jury's out. I think people are nervous about what might happen. Um, you know. For, for us, we see this as a great opportunity. Um, I think we are in a strong position uh, in terms of our degree of compliance and, and, and our desire to, to operate well in, in the leading financial services countries in the world. And, and we have no desire to be in an offshore jurisdiction operating out of a, uh, a location with very little enforcement or oversight. Um, so, so for us and our stance, it's important. Um, I think for some clients, they're going to want to go offshore. Um, I think you've got an interesting angle where Facebook and Google are now looking at what they can do to help uh, make it more difficult for those that want to attract people from, from an offshore location by saying, you know, if you want to advertise to people in Europe, you need to be licensed in Europe. Um, and so, you know, Google have, have got their policy around that, um, and, and it's a whitelisting approach, and you've got to apply, and you've got to demonstrate where you've got licenses, and, and you've got to demonstrate that you're you're operating and you're, you're, you're advertising and targeting an audience you're allowed to, to, to conduct business with. So as you can hear there from Ivan, there's lots of considerations to take into an account if you are going to be looking at trading outside of the regions that are governed by ESMA. Um, of course, the, there is the availability of higher margins, but that does come with the added risk of a looser regulatory environment that could ultimately put you at higher risk and the funds that you are trading with. So. Following on from that um, and towards the end of our telephone conversation with Ivan, we just asked him to give us some details of what he thought the key points were for anybody that would be looking at making a move over to capital.com, obviously a relatively new entrant into the market. And what set them apart and what would really be the benefits for anybody trading with them? So I think our platform where you, you get access to the chart, a trading ticket, see the news all in one screen, I think the speed with which you can execute your trades, uh, the simplicity and ease of use of our platform I think is, is great and will continue to, to get better. Um, I think our education platform and our trading bias detection 
is is a really useful and unique feature. Um, we have a a wide range of of products you can trade, um, and I think in particular our our range of a selected number of of cryptocurrencies is interesting to a a maybe a newer audience to trading. Um, and we have a, a substantially broader range than, than IG or CMC in cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and we've been selective to, to choose those that we believe are, are solid projects with, with a, a long future ahead of them. And, and we think that the blockchain technology is a really emerging uh, technology that's going to be very disruptive. and. Um, and we're allowing people to trade with, with leverage right now that is at the ESMA levels of two to one and, and we're allowing clients right now to, to choose up to five to one on cryptocurrencies. So there you have it. Um, that was Ivan Gowan of Capital.com. Um, we thank him again for taking the call a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this podcast um, on the introduction of ESMA. So once again, the UK Investor Magazine podcast is available on the Amazon Alexa, as well as on our website in the podcast section and in Apple iTunes.